Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mental Maintenance Podcast, episode 41. I'm Denise, and today's episode is going to sound a little bit different. I was recently a guest on Tales from Godric's Hollow, which is a Harry Potter podcast, and if you've been listening for a while, you know that I love Harry Potter. We talked about mental health in the wizarding world, and even though this is a Harry Potter wizarding world kind of focused episode, I think that we touched on a lot of really good mental health topics in general. And because of that, we thought it would be a great episode to have on mental maintenance as well. So here it is. I we I talked with Joe from Tales from Godric's Hollow and his friend Adrian. Here it is, and I hope you enjoy it. Today's main topic of discussion, we are talking about mental health in the wizarding world. And this is going to be a unique discussion because not only is this our main topic of today's show, but this is also going to be used for a show on the Mental Maintenance Podcast. So, Denise, say a little something to your community so they don't get freaked out by this weird voice that they're hearing right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll probably do an intro. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, so I we I just really felt like this is an episode that could literally be on our feed or on your feed and just very interchangeable. So with this discussion, I mean, we're going to be talking about everything, you know, that we normally talk about on on mental maintenance. And yeah, I think they'll they'll really enjoy it. At least I hope they will. I don't know how many are uh, Harry Potter fans like I am, but we'll see. Just got to branch out a little bit. <laughs> but this is like the greatest form of multitasking. We're recording once, but it's being used twice. It's like Exactly. So great. Anywho, I, I think I want to start out by defining mental health. Uh, so we'll, we'll start there as our base. And I got this according to the, the U.S. CDC. So it says mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also determines how we handle stress, relate to others, and make choices. Many factors can can contribute to mental health issues, including biological factors such as genes or brain chemistry, life experiences such as trauma or abuse, and family history of mental health problems. Now, poor mental health can include uh, feeling sad or down, confused thinking, uh, reduced ability to concentrate, excessive fears or worries, or extreme feelings of guilt, extreme mood changes of highs and lows, withdrawal from friends and activities, significant tiredness, low energy, or even problems sleeping, detached from reality, delusions, creating false realities, paranoia, hallucinations, inability to cope with daily problems or stress, trouble understanding or relating to situations and others, problems with alcohol or drug use, major changes in eating habits, incessant anger, hostility or violence, and suicidal suicidal thinking. So a lot of those, well, some of them, we actually do cover in this Harry Potter story. Yeah, I would say a lot. So there is definitely a lot of mental health aspects in the story. And I think the main thing that people say about this story is that there is no mental health aid or mental health treatment for a lot of these things that are happening in the wizarding world. Um, but I think, I don't know, I, I think it's a little unfair fair to to say that the wizarding world has like no mental health services in their world because you know not for nothing um it's a children's story <laughs> like it, it doesn't really make for fun and magical fantastical reading to be like and harry spoke to his therapist about all these things it, it, it's just no however it would be great if it was in there right. because then it would normalize that for children Right. Yes, I, I agree. Um, comparing this to other works of fantasy, I don't think any of them have uh, uh, any kind of mental health aspects to it. So, like, I just I feel like the fandom does put a little bit more emphasis on like why isn't there more mental health stuff happening in the Wizarding World? Uh, and, and maybe it's because we've seen people go crazy, and we've seen the trauma in Harry's life, and we've seen the trauma in uh, Little Tommy Riddle's life, and and. Everyone's so many other people and they're just like these people need help they should be given some kind of services 
I think one thing too to like keep in mind is like we all read this. Well, not all of us. I know, I know, Joe, yours is weird, but <laughs> <laughs> a lot of us read this as children, right? And we didn't, we weren't thinking that when we were kids. But as we grew up and as we became adults, we're still like invested in this series and we're analyzing it and we're picking it apart because we love it. And that's something that we can go back to and look at and and reread and relive. Um, and as an adult, you're looking back like, man, these these kids were going through it and just yeah. nobody was like, hey, do you need someone to talk to? Because this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> There's literally somebody trying to kill you. All the time. <laughs> and Dumbledore's just like, eh, he'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I could argue that the story does include a lot of mental health aspects, but they're masked as something else. And therefore, you deal with them in a magical kind of way rather than a practical kind of way. So, for example, last week, we did an episode on Dementors. And if you know anything mm -hmm. about Dementors, they are a metaphor for depression in the story. And depression, obviously, is a mental health issue. But in this magical world, you're dealing with it with a powerful, happy thought mixed with a spell and chocolate. So it's like... <laughs> totally like real life. <laughs> The chocolate part, for sure. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of, like, you know, ways of, like, talking about mental health without talking about mental health. Um, right. Which, obviously, I have issues with a little bit just because that's literally what I do is try, is try to talk as much about it as possible uh, to make people feel like it's normal. But, yeah, like the Dementors are obviously a representation of depression and and it is affected and it shows in the way too that it affects Harry more than anyone else because Harry has more trauma than anyone else. Like he is more susceptible to that Um which, yeah, but also they can affect, it can affect anybody, sure. um, you know. So yeah, Lupin said that it was because the horrors of his past uh, is why he was affected so much. And like Harry, those afflicted with a traumatic past are more often susceptible to depression in our world. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about how you fight Dementors in this world being the Patronus charm, it requires mastering mindful concentration and focused practice before running into that Dementor. And the same can be said for developing skills to combat clinical depression you have to be almost teaching yourself how to how to fight it while you're not in a depressed state that way if you get there and we keep our fingers crossed that people don't but fact of the matter is people do go through depression uh so if you're in that um if you ever get depressed you'll have these tools in your toolbox so to speak to be right. able to utilize and get through that time in your life so it's almost like a veiled way of talking about it with without actually saying what it is yeah and I, and I feel like i know your answer to this but the question that i had um because we'll get into a couple of other things as well does it short change the reader that it's done this way i feel like yes and no i mean it, i feel like it could be either way right because on the one hand it would be great if if it was just talked about if it was just like you know book five angsty Harry you know if someone's like hey you've been through a lot like it kind of makes sense that you're lashing out and are you are you maybe depressed you know like if someone was like you know if it was very just cut and dry this is what it is on the one hand that would have been great for for kids um to read that and to to be like oh okay so you don't just have to be really sad it, it does come out in anger or you know um Right. And same, you know, with the Dementors. However, you know, yeah, we go back to this is a children's story and I don't fault the, the author for, I don't fault JK for not, not doing it that way. Um, I think it's fine the way it is. Obviously, like I, I love the books, like, you know, I, as much as I like to, um, 
you know, discuss certain things or issues when it comes down to it. I, they're to me, like I, I like them the way they are. Um, so I don't necessarily think that that was like something that should have been done. It just kind of would have been nice if some of those things would have been brought, brought up. Yeah. I, I think there are times where it could have been hundred percent. And then obviously like dementors, you're not just going to come out and say it like, Oh, you're having feelings of depression. Yeah. Um, but you brought up the perfect example, like after Goblet of Fire, seeing Cedric die, seeing Voldemort come back and almost dying himself. Harry's lashing out at his friends. He's lashing out at almost everybody around him. That could have been a good spot to, to yeah. put something in if they were going to. Definitely. But I could see how it could kind of like story purposes as like a creative writer. And maybe Adrian, maybe you can kind of speak to this a little bit better than I can because I know you, you love creative writing and you write stories and plots all the time um i, I don't um, know i don't know how i'm gonna be super super real sure it, it, i'm just gonna be real about it when it comes to the story uh, that would have killed it like for a reader like me like you're okay i i get that i love how jk kind of like prances around the issues we have metaphors we have that's what a storyteller is supposed to do you don't want a storyteller to come to you and be like yeah, so Vivian died. Um, it was leukemia. Uh, we did these treatments. It's like, I don't, no, 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 no. I want to see somebody rushing at the doctor. Like, what do you mean she's dead? How could this be? Like, tell me a story to get invested into these emotions. It kind of feels like, well, I picked it up as an adult, so I can't really say. But if I pick this up as a kid, I'm I'm getting, you know, in a way distracted in entranced by these complex characters and the fact that they're showing these little bits here and there it's keeping me like oh snap what's coming on the train right now but when she describes the like the shivers and stuff like that that you get that resonates like I don't know I'm one of those people maybe that's why I picked film and writing paint me a picture to tell me what you want to tell me don't just outright because it's a lot of times it's just not going to be accepted yeah, I and I do I do agree with you on that. I wouldn't want her to just be like, "Oh, the dementor came in and it felt like everyone was depressed." <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I, right? Like, okay, normal Tuesday. What, yeah. What's so scary <laughs> <Yeah>. about this? <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I'm definitely I would not yeah, I would not change that portion of it at all. Um but just having like those words come in not constantly but like occasionally here or there is all I would want different. But again, I wouldn't I wouldn't change them how they are. Like just like just just a little just give them the word for what they're feeling. Just once maybe. I get what you're saying. Totally. So I, I read this great article that I found online and I'll link it in the show notes. And it was written by Melissa. They don't list her last name, which I'm sad about because I want to give her full credit for uh, all these points she brings up because it was really good. She's a mental health professional. Um, and I found the article at kenosiscenter.com and it was about mental health in the wizarding world. And she brings up some great points about the symbology like we were discussing before. And she had brought up the dimension but she brought up a couple of other things too that I kind of want to present to everybody here. And she first starts off with like, she starts off with the severe and then goes into like the mild as far as like the mental health cases or issues rather. And severe, obviously there's St. Mungo's Hospital, uh, which we do end up getting to during Order of the Phoenix. And there's a place where we bump into the Long Bottoms and we bump into Gilderoy Lockhart. And it's uh, if, if you've listened to the first time Josh went through this uh, this book, his reaction to it was classic. But so that that's what exactly we're talking about that moment, that place. Anyway, um, so we see that patients with severe mental impairments are cared for permanently and reside in locked units for their safety. Uh, severe mental illness is presented as the long-term consequence of an illegal attack from another or a botched attempt at magic. Uh, there's no references to inherent uh, maladies from birth with the exception of being Gwib, which isn't like a mental health issue. So that's kind of like how they present the severe aspects of uh, mental health. Now, as we get into the less severe, this is where she kind of listed like the Dementors and the symbology of that. And uh, she also brought up the Boggart too, which I thought hmm. was really interesting because... I, that was not something that came to me right away when I was thinking of this subject. 
So she went on to say uh, less severe fo- uh, forms of mental illness are presented as a typical occurrence within the wizarding world and are managed by magic. For example, bogart, uh, boggarts. Now, a boggart is a physical manifestation of anxiety spectrum disorders. It takes the form of whatever will frighten them the most, like a phobia or a personal insecurity. Now, a boggart will cycle through your fears until the person is paralyzed to the point that they cannot complete the task they set out to do. We kind of see that with Molly Weasley uh, when she tries to take care of the boggart at Grimmauld Place and it just keeps cycling through all her dead children, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, this cycling is similar to those that suffer with generalized anxiety disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder. The effects of these in the muggle world can lessen with interventions and coping strategies, but are rarely ever cured. Likewise, the boggarts are never fully destroyed, but they are managed via magic. And once you learn how to identify them, a boggart becomes powerless and vanishes. That obviously being with the spell that we all love to say, ridiculous. And Joe writes, using laughter to combat fears is also a handy approach in our muggle world, too. So the the symbology of the anxiety uh, with the boggart and also how to kind of fight that kind of goes hand in hand with what we can do in the muggle world here. Uh, and I love that she put... Like how boggarts are never fully destroyed. Like anxiety right. is never, like never fully goes away, although you can manage it. You can get to a mm-hmm. point where you can manage it really well. Yeah, I've never thought about the boggart as a representation of like anxiety before, but it really makes a lot of sense because that's that's literally how my brain works is like if I'm in a situation, I think of like every possible outcome, like from bad to worse. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, and eventually you just kind of have to like, you know, figure out, you know, just either move forward or decide not to and and go from there. But yeah, it's like that's that's never something that's actually gone. It's just maintained until the next time it pops up. Right. And like if again, if you have those tools in your toolbox to Mm -hmm. when that when those come up, you kind of know you have a process for yourself. You're like, okay, I am thinking this negative thought or this bad thought. How do I get out of this? mental space right now and bring Mm -hmm. myself back to a positive side. So another tool to dispel the boggart uh, slash anxiety is engaging in community and social interactions with others. Now the boggart, when faced with two individuals, a boggart will split in two and basically become a mashup of both wizards fears. Uh, That's terrifying. Right. It could be terrifying or it could be kind of funny depending on what the fears are too. So engaging in community and and being around other people, being around friends um, can help lessen the anxiety or or can pull you out of a negative state and put you in a a better state when, when you're surrounding yourself with good people. A note on the Dementors that I found also. Now, this is deep diving. And I, and I found this last week when we were talking about Dementors, but I wanted to save it for this show because it just fit more appropriately with the subject. It says, during the years of 1733 and 1747, there was a minister of magic named Eldritch Diggory. You should know that last name. Mm-hmm. Uh, who visited Azkaban and was, ter- uh, was horrified at the sheer despair and insanity that the mentors induced within the prisoners and because of that he formed a committee to find alternative solutions but while in the midst of discussing these solutions diggory died of dragon pox while in office and thus the campaign to find alternative uh to azkaban's dementors stalled so i thought it was interesting that there was somebody in charge at one point who had said like you know what these dementors they're they're causing all types of trouble for these prisoners they're driving them basically insane we got to stop this we got to find something else other than that to put in place so these guys aren't going crazy like there was somebody that cared about the mental health of these prisoners right and the fact that I stumbled across this and found this, and this is, even though it's not in any of the books, it's not in, I, I think this was in, in an article that was written by JK that ended up on Pottermore. Uh, the fact that this was in there was just like, she's not completely, you know, putting a veil over mental health issues and whatnot. Like, there are people that care about the mental health side of things. It may just not be uh, something relevant to the story that we're reading at right. the moment. Yeah. Like, I, always I felt- mean, it is, it is kind of sad that, you 
you know, after he died, they just didn't revisit. Right, right because obviously <laughs> Dementors are still running Azkaban. <laughs> yeah, probably not the best security guards. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, what else are they going to do with them? I was just going to say, that's a whole Dementor. <laughs> How much you think they get paid? Like, I wouldn't want to do that either. I'd be like, you got it, bro. Just leave me alone. Yeah, they get paid in souls and happiness and... <laughs> Well, I, I think one of the labor. one of the things that they were discussing, um, I had read, was about that. Like, what happens to the Dementors then if we can't use them on Azkaban? And there was this whole big uproar about, well, are they going to be coming to the mainland then if if we don't mm. use them there? And then are they just going to kind of run rampant on everybody in the Wizarding World <laughs> that, that's on uh, that's just living over there? So it was just kind of like, okay, that's one about letting the, the, the Dementors go. Yeah, that almost gets gets us into a different, totally different discussion, which I will try not to derail us, but on like the prison system, because you think about like Sirius being in there and Sirius was innocent and yeah. he was in there for, you know, 12 years. He did his waiting, 12 years of it uh, in Azkaban. <laughs> um, and he, with Dementors feeding off of his his soul and his happiness. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that presents like a totally different discussion of prison systems and innocent versus guilty and how they're run. And yeah. Well, the, the serious thing is a little extra, too, because he didn't even get a trial. No. Which is just like, how who's running this government? Like, what is happening right now? You're oh, now boy. questioning a government that had children doing its work for all of these years. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, so another symbolic theme in the Wizarding World uh, can be found with the Obscurus and suppression. Mm-hmm. And we know how the Obscurus works. We've been getting a little bit more information on it now that we're getting more details about Dumbledore's family and Ariana and who she was and how she operated and what happened. We know that she was kind of bullied by her neighbors, probably physically, possibly even more than that. And that really sent her down a... uh, Destructive. Yeah, kind of hole (laughs) in a way. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Dumbledore's father obviously sought revenge and got it, killed those muggle boys, ended up going to Azkaban, but the damage was done to Ariana. She suppressed her magic and, you know, as we see with Obscurus's in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, like, when you suppress that magic, like, it eventually ends up being too much for you to suppress and it lashes out. And at that yeah. point, you can't control it. It's just, it's released and it hurts who it hurts and then <laughs> you cop. Yeah. I feel like that could be literally a suppression of like anything. That could be a, you know. Yeah, it, there's so many different anything. examples of yeah of, of stuff that could be suppressed. Um, but the the author of that article, she had wrote that uh, when a child is provided with the opportunity to understand, embrace, and appreciate their magical proclivities, um, mm-hmm. that's when they'll be able to kind of um, bounce back a little bit. But it, it's only when they are judged, shamed, criticized for something that they have no control over that this destructive force inside of them brews. And that is also similar to people here in, in, in real life. You know, as we suppress our feelings, if we we don't have an outlet for the stuff that is going on inside of us eventually it's going to get to be too much and yeah. eventually it's going to be overwhelming and yep. how it ends up manifesting at that point you may not be able to control yeah and i think too it says a lot that the obscurus not only hurts others but hurts yourself as well um it's something that ends up you know eventually killing its host um, because a lot of, you know, mental health issues that stem from suppression are, are self-destructive. You know, people end up um, with addiction issues or, uh, or just recklessness, um, suicide. I mean, all, all the above. I mean, it comes out in a lot of different ways that generally are just ways to hurt yourself. And then you end up hurting others 
in the process. Right. So having those supports in your life and mm-hmm. and having those, um, I guess, ways to express yourself. Yeah. Healthy outlets, whether that's community. I mean, that could literally just be having people around you that you feel supported by and heard by and seen by um, that you're comfortable with talking. That could be a professional, you know, person, therapist, counselor. Um, It could be like for my husband, it's hockey. (laughs) Like he plays hockey and that's what keeps his mental health in check um, and gives, uh, gives him that outlet. Um, You know, it looks, it looks different for everybody and, but making sure to like find it is the most important part. Definitely. Yeah. We're we're actually, we're, we're gonna, at the end of this discussion, I I have a list of tips to build your mental health. Uh, So we'll kind of run through that. And a lot of them were kind of been going over in the midst of this discussion, but just as a nice capping point, I guess, uh, to the discussion, we can throw that out to anyone. And anyone who is struggling with any mental health uh, issues, uh, you can implement these things in your life right away and yeah. reach out to whoever you need to reach out. Um, the power of relationships is at the heart of the Harry Potter series. Um, and, and those relationships are, are kind of what uh, fosters the ability to overcome the dark forces that kind of go up against Harry and the trio and, and and everyone fighting for good. And whether those relationships are familial or friendship or intimate, they provide the strongest quote-unquote magic of all that we hear about in the series, and that is love. We, we know how powerful love is. Love is spoken about um, in the Wizarding World as basically the, the, the most powerful yeah the, the most powerful type of magic yeah and it's that that um that can help you overcome and and to, to help fight against these dark forces that are coming against us uh so, so seeing harry and his relationships that he's been able to have with many different i mean you, you can kind of go through the gamut here of you know he ain't he ain't surviving without ron and hermione by his side like there's no way he completes the task that he has um yeah having even though with a short period of time, Sirius in his life and Lupin in his life, having Dumbledore guiding him and the love of the Weasley family that kind of uh, accepted him as a member of the family before he obviously married Ginny, but before he even realized that he was or, or even deserved it or whatever, he was just this friend of Ron and yeah. the Weasley family just kind of brought him in. Even, even the sibling treated him as a sibling, which was just great. And you could tell the culture of that family was what it was yeah. um, very nurturing, but, it, but it was that force that helped Harry. I remember in order of the Phoenix, when Voldemort had kind of taken over Harry and was trying to get Dumbledore to basically kill Harry uh, in that moment. But it was Harry, and this was very well shown in the movie. Um, if the boss was on with us, she'd be able to tell me if it was very similar to the books and how the movie portrayed it. And I, th- and I think it is, it kind of goes hand in hand. But they basically described it as Harry thinking about his friends, the love he has for Ron yeah. and Hermione that basically drove Voldemort out of his body and, and, obviously Dumbledore wasn't going to kill Harry anyway so right. not that that was ever an option but he was grasping at straws <laughs> yeah but it was that where um where again that love overcame the kind of evil that was kind of on top of him so relationships are very important yeah well and I think too like even in the Fantastic Beast movies I mean Adrian you said like you know your new favorite relationship is <laughs> is Dumbledore's um <laughs> I mean, that's what's keeping Dumbledore from going after Grindelwald is love. I mean, that's what's protecting Grindelwald at this point. Um, You know, it was, you know, the blood pact and then that got, you know, destroyed somehow. And then uh, it was pure. It was love that kept them from continuing that fight. Well, right. Yeah. And it's love that'll keep that basically the same way until eventually 1945 when things come to a head. Right. Still don't know what year we're in. we know he doesn't kill him, though. (laughs) Yes. It was love that kept Grindelwald alive. Yeah. 
So it, it's, it just kind of goes to show that like, yeah, I mean, really you could probably find that theme in so many different parts that, we, that don't even come up. But I mean, yeah, I mean, that's definitely the, the main theme of the Harry Potter series is love conquers all. Right. And, and I love the dynamic of the love. But like we use it in so many different, I guess, ways in the series, but I never kind of put it with this subject until mm-hmm. kind of diving into it now being like, yeah, yeah, th- that definitely played a big role in Harry being able to overcome that. 100%. If Harry didn't have, you know, didn't find all of those those people that loved and cared about him as he grew up and as he went through all of those, you know, traumatic events, he definitely would not have made it to the end. And it's, you know, of course, Ron and Hermione, but then when you really start to think about it, it's like, yeah, the Weasleys, Hagrid, uh, Dobby, um, (laughs) um, uh, just literally anyone, Neville, I mean, the the love and support that he had from his friends, his family, his peers, that's what got him through the whole series. I even remember there was a time during the Battle of Hogwarts where I think he just felt so overwhelmed and he was done. And I think it was around the time the Dementors started to, to come mm. after them. And I think Luna showed up and I think Dean maybe was there as well. And in the movie, Aberforth was there and they all did the Patronus. It was almost like harry couldn't even form the patronus charm because it it just seemed like too much but then because of the backing of his peers that were behind him and like luna i just love luna so much (laughs) she she was she was like we're still here harry we're fighting with you and just that like that reminder that encouragement all you need meant the world to harry and it just gave it was literal strength for Harry to push forward. Well, and can you imagine how much that means to somebody who has literally felt alone the majority of his life? I mean, the first 11 years of his life, you know, he doesn't remember the first year or so that he was with his parents, but that, you know, that all he knows, all he's known until Hogwarts is alone. I need to be as quiet and and invisible as possible just to survive this household and never having any support, love, care, anything from the people that he lived with. And then to to meet that's it had to be like such a great feeling. And that's I think also why he tended to want to be on his own so much and want to push the people away that were trying to help him is because that's what he knew that's that that was his his normal yeah i mean it's really interesting like just on a human level we all like individually we need people we can't survive i mean you can technically get to the next day every day by yourself or whatever if you're like a survivalist or whatever but in general we all need people and i just think it's so cool harry as he gets older, like he gets more rebellious, he gets more stubborn. He tries to keep more to himself and everything. And I think we've all had moments where we're just fighting the world by ourselves, where it feels like we're fighting the world by ourselves. And even the oh, yeah. slightest, the slightest little, you got this from just one of your friends or whatever. Like if you really think about it, if you're down and out in a fight, you're going to fight harder for the people you love than you are for yourself. It's going to be that extra boost. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like it's, it's, it's come up in so many different like literary and like movies, you know, everything like people need people. Mm Mm-hmm. Like we were made for each other. Like we were made to be in uh, a community. Uh-huh, yeah, literally. One of the uh, the last things I'm going to bring up here um, that was in that article that I had found was she said that therapists are like pensive. And I was like, hmm, like, let's see what she writes about this, because that's an interesting thought. And she wrote that therapists are like pensives, but better. A container to hold memories, which provide the opportunity for deep introspection of past events. You're able to step out of your own experience and view it from an objective perspective. And what therapists can do is provide new insights to reframe it so that it is less likely to negatively impact your daily life, whatever 
like event that you're reliving, so to speak. And and I thought that was just like super cool that because I would have never thought of like the, the that's pen, brilliant, like the pen sieve be like having that much meaning. Yeah, no, I I love that that analogy because she's right (laughs) (laughs) having a having a place or a person you know uh to to put your thoughts and then help you move through them and relive them and see you know different perspectives of it I mean that's yeah I mean that's exactly what they do but yeah but better yeah all I pictured right now literally was my past therapy sessions and in my head now all I'm thinking about is extracting random like little memories that happen (laughs) and like waving the therapist over like yo come here tell me if I was wrong for this all right watch this that's all I'm picturing now no, I, I like that. I I can I can see that's all I'm gonna picture now when I go to therapy is right? flicking my memory at my therapist. Yeah, in the in the withering world, I guess it would be, you know, you're going back into your memory and you're getting a different perspective and hoping you see it from a different way. But when you're with a therapist, the therapist is the one that is looking at it objectively and giving you a different perspective and hopefully providing that new insight so that you'll uh, take in whatever that event that happened just in a different way. So so you don't feel as bad about that event or as angry or as uh, sad or upset or down on yourself. Yeah. It's almost like the therapist and is like a combination of the pensive pensive and the person maybe that you're viewing it with um but i like the idea of that in general like i've never heard that before i've never heard the analogy of like the pensive and the therapist that's really cool i mean listen that makes me feel way better because (laughs) this series ruined diaries for me all right like after that i was just like no (laughs) no more diaries (laughs) <laughs> oh no so that article brought up a lot of great points and a lot of great uh symbology that i never thought of before and definitely allowed me to kind of take a step back and see these different things with new perspective and fresh eyes so I- i'm glad i found that article and again i'm gonna put that in the show notes if anyone wants to kind of check it out in detail rather than yeah. the the few points that i brought out but i'll um, put that in our show notes too just for people listening on mental maintenance <laughs> <laughs> But I I think we can all agree that, you know, the mental health issues slash treatments were were definitely overall more veiled than out in the open. And there are a lot of characters that could have benefited from being able to have these services available to them. And a prime example of that is both our protagonists and antagonists, you know, both who have lived similar lives, um, both orphaned at a young age. um, And, you know, we've we've covered a lot of what Harry has kind of gone through already on the show but jumping to little tommy as i called him before i know this was a a a big topic of discussion when josh was back on the show he had brought up that if little tommy riddle had gotten a hug like he wouldn't (laughs) have become the lord voldemort that we all know and maybe i wouldn't go that far but i i think if there were services available to Tom Riddle, um, because obviously he was showing signs of trauma and and lashing out and all that stuff. If there was an intervention that could have been made at the orphanage that worked, I know we kind of <laughs> terrorized everybody that ended up going there. Um, who, who knows? If- Which is all the reason why they should have offered something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. It's crazy. <laughs> wait, wait, but what about, you know, just some people are just, you know, destined for certain mm. things. Like, let's be honest, Voldemort was like a like a fake Hitler. Like, if Hitler would have <laughs> just got into art school, everybody would have been fine. There was <laughs> services for him, but he still chose what he chose. 
I, I mean, chance that there are chances that you know Tom Riddle with a therapist would have you know somehow manipulated the therapist to do oh yeah something for him in a way or maybe would have yeah tried there to are like serial up. killers that do that stuff now so <laughs> you know who would have drove a therapist crazy my girl Trelawney well her paranoid overthinking self yo I would love <laughs> to see that therapy session she is me okay I am her she is me we are one with our overthinking selves I, I kind of feel like she would never go to therapy though because in her mind there's nothing wrong <laughs> like I, oh, well, I just, she had a I, vision I just, that says something could have been wrong and she had to go to this th- you see there's too many of of the scenarios she would have had in her head for you to, for you to even say what she would do that's how yeah, crazy I, she is I feel like yeah she'd show up to a therapist and not get the therapist would never say a word because she would just be mm-hmm. <laughs> she would just be listen like, off her dreams and stuff yeah. y'all Mm -hmm. this is what's happening and this is what I think is going to happen and this is what's definitely going to happen and if that happens and this is going to happen and we're all this and yeah Mm -hmm. I would love to Mm -hmm. listen to the session where she comes in and says there's an 11 year old boy who's going to die you know (laughs) and there's just a therapist sitting there like wow okay Okay. This is getting reported to the order office. <laughs> um, but I I also have a handful, not a lot, of other characters that definitely could have benefited from uh, seeking therapy at some point in their life. And obviously therapy could help basically everybody. So, <laughs> but, but I'm, oh, not, yeah. I'm not going to list obviously uh, everybody, but like, like the top people that probably like really could have used it. Um, and please feel free to add to this list. Um, but Snape, I think, definitely is on that. He's yep. Snape is a misunderstood soul. All right, Snape. Snape was making his way through. He was obviously very layered. Um, had a lot going on, a lot on his plate. Was dealing with a lot of feelings that he kept suppressed, mm-hmm. um, deep, deep down. Didn't want Dumbledore to share. He, like that was the one person he opened up to that he basically kind of trusted. But he, yeah, he, it was almost like he was forced to trust him. But then that that trust was proven good so he just continued to be vulnerable in front of Dumbledore because I feel like he was the only one that saw a specific side of Snape that nobody else saw and I love specifically how Alan Rickman played it in the movies because whenever you see Snape in the movies he's always calm he's collected he's got his stuff together but whenever you see him with Dumbledore in private he's almost like he's manic he's shaking Mm -hmm. he's emotional he's and and it's almost it's almost like a like a switch happens Mm -hmm. and he's these two other people but that Snape is the real Snape but he's just he's putting up this front for everybody else and I just feel like if he had someone that he can kind of talk his feelings through because I'm sure he feels incredibly guilty about Lily Potter dying yeah oh yeah that's uh, that's obvious that he's got some serious uh guilt and and trauma around that event and and not only that the the fact that he kind of drove her out of his life when they were younger Mm -hmm. like the bitterness between the marauders bullying him and then how that was kind of used as a way to push lily away from him as well it was just it, it kind of like became this um this snowball effect in his life that he couldn't control although he kind of could but he just he didn't have those tools yet to to maybe not I mean you said it yourself people. love is powerful so either way you want to deal with that emotion it's going to be powerful mm-hmm. I threw Lupin on here um and a lot of my thinking on that comes from his backstory that we ended up covering on an episode but it was found in some of those like side stories on Pottermore and whatnot and since he became a werewolf but from that point from what everything he had to go through like there was a lot happening inside of Lupin and even when like he was he wouldn't let himself love Tonks mm-hmm. because of his fear of what may happen in the relationship what their potential family would look like he definitely uh, was somebody that uh, needed to kind of sort through some things I almost with- feel like if you are bit by or turned into a werewolf like that just needs to be um, mandatory <laughs> like 
you you have to go to some kind of counseling, right? <laughs> or so, at least like a mentorship, or there needs to be like a program of like you know good werewolves that can help support each other, like get through those w- times. WA Werewolves I mean, Anonymous. Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole target, though. <laughs> like, come on, all these werewolves in one room, like <laughs> true. Uh, well, that's why it would be anonymous. <laughs> Werewolves Anonymous. I wonder what goes down in there. (laughs) But, you know, they're all on their potion. They're all taking their medication so they don't turn into a werewolf. They're just struggling. They're not feeling great, but they have that support. Like Lupin couldn't find a steady job, couldn't stay in one place for a long period Mm -hmm. of time. He moved constantly, uh, like year after year after year. He had to get up and move once people started, like, maybe talking or wondering what was going on with him. He just had to pick up and leave. So, like, he he was never able to set roots or get any kind of foundation or or make any friends until he met the Marauders. And that's why they were so important. Mm -hmm. But even after a couple of years of that, you know, one ended up dying. Well, he thought the other died, too. And then one, he thought, killed both of them, basically basically, and went to Azkaban for it. So he lost everyone that was close to him. Yeah. Lupin is a really interesting character. I feel like you could really find a lot of representation in Lupin for a lot of different things. Yeah. Lupin and Snape are just the picture perfect examples of suppression gone wrong. Mm -hmm. For sure. And discrimination, especially too with Mm -hmm. Lupin. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, you can open up a whole other world of topic with that one. (laughs) I would say that Albus now seeing like how he's been dealing with his feelings with Grindelwald probably definitely could have been seeing somebody. And and he was probably too prideful to do it. But again, still could have benefited from it. Yeah. I don't know if this would have been possible. Dumbledore would have had to help set this up, but I think Sirius could have definitely mm-hmm. um, used some counseling uh, specifically. Well, how do, when- you, how do you know if Dumbledore would have even went to his therapy sessions with the way he be ghosting on everybody? Right. Like, let's he be honest. Find, he would find some way to use his therapist as... You know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Get to his advantage. <laughs> you have to get this message to Grindelwald. <laughs> um, yeah, Sirius was kind of like arrested in development from the time that he went to Azkaban until the time he got out. And being wrongfully accused and imprisoned for that long, having no positive thoughts because the Dementors, we know, did not affect him at all because there was no positive thoughts to kind of uh, take away from Sirius. It it was just he had nothing but revenge on his mind. And once he was able to be freed, he wasn't really free because everyone else still thought that he was Voldemort's right hand man. So he had to stay locked up. And that's why it's like he couldn't openly go to some kind of counselor or therapist because he couldn't leave the house. And like the worst place possible for him. I mean, in his childhood at home which was full of like terrible memories yeah pictures of his mother screaming (laughs) what i wonder if if they could have had like a wizarding world therapist the uh portrait and just kind of like hang it up and just talk (laughs) to the portrait i put neville on here because Mm -hmm. he too was a great one yeah that had to overcome a lot His his grandma did not believe in him. He showed magic very late in life, even when he did get the magic. Um, Struggled in school for the longest time and really didn't find his way until kind of like Order of the Phoenix-ish. That's when he kind of started coming through. And, you know, you could kind of, I guess, objectively look from the outside and be like he was one of the lucky ones where, you know, he ended up being okay uh, despite not having any kind of therapy. But when you go through the things that Neville has gone through, when your um, parents get basically tortured to insanity and you're also now fighting these, <laughs> the same person that did that to your parents. Uh, I think, too, like, uh, you know, uh, I think when you're just looking at it from the outside very quickly or, you know, not very objectively, you're in your head. It's like, well, even though his parents are, you know, 
mentally ill at this point, he still has them. He can go and see them. That, I think that's what your brain immediately goes to, at least as a, as a child. I remember when I read it thinking like, well, at least he still has his parents. Right. But as I get older um, and, you know, rereading them as an adult, I would say you're, he's probably in a just perpetual state of mourning because his parents are still here physically, but that emotional connection, you know, that the, what he can't have those conversations with them. Like they're mentally gone. Right. And I, I would almost argue that that's, that could be just as bad, you know, as, as losing them entirely and not knowing them at all. I mean, you could even argue just like, even saying that could be like a metaphor for like kids with absentee parents, Mm -hmm. like physically they, they could be there, but mentally, emotionally, everything, you're all on your own. And it's kind of cool to see Neville's story of basically everyone on, on this boy's back and he has no fundamentals of connecting or love or support and to see him turn out all right I don't know even though it's a kid's book it's kind of like all right well my past is a bit jacked up if 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 my boy Neville could bloom like this maybe there's something waiting for me on the other side yeah. I also think about how he kind of, and he might have put this on himself a little bit, but I know his grand definitely did. It was just living up to like mm. the family name mm-hmm. and basically trying to make his parents proud, even mm-hmm. though they were still there, but not there. It's like saying your dad is Barack Obama. Your last name is Obama. You got to live up to that name. <laughs> Yeah, it, and especially when you have someone constantly reminding you that you need uh-huh. to live up to that name. Right. It's a lot of pressure for a kid that lacks confidence as it is. Yeah. Uh, the last person I have on my little list of characters here, a um, little bit out of the box in a way, probably not someone you're generally thinking of, but I thought of him and I'm like, yeah, I think so. And that's uh, Professor Slughorn. Mm. And the reason why I put him on this list is because he carried so much guilt with him because of the choice he made specifically to give Tom Riddle information about how to make a horcrux to the point where you know he's changing his memories and you know he's lashing out at people he's staying quiet he's suppressing those feelings doesn't want to talk about it runs from everybody uh, about it and then when Voldemort comes to power you know and Death Eaters are trying to recruit him he's hopping house to house like there's just he's got a lot on his mind that guy um, yeah and he's he's obviously like ashamed of what he did even though you know I always felt like he shouldn't be ashamed of what he did because you know it's Voldemort he's manipulating you like it happens well, it's, it's, it's fine human. but human make right. mistakes and he was the adult in mm-hmm. the situation that's even worse yeah right but at the same time like i'm not going to tell anyone how to feel <laughs> you know if that's how they're feeling that's how they're feeling and obviously yeah uh, the character was feeling that kind of way about this specific event which seemingly haunted him for a very long period of time i would add i have two that i would add to that list okay um draco mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would add to that list. Um, he, I mean, just from what we saw, which, you know, obviously the, the story is from Harry's perspective. So we're not seeing Draco a lot, but almost every interaction he is being, if his, if his dad is around, he's being talked down to, abused, like, you know, in certain ways. Um, and when we're seeing him without his parents, I mean, especially in the later books, he's very obviously struggling. <laughs> like, um, Half-blood prince? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yes. I mean, every time we see him, he's just manic he's he's sickly looking he is he's obviously stressed to the to the max he's been given this insane task impossible task yeah with with the consequence of if he doesn't do it he's going to die (laughs) like yeah and he how do you deal i don't know yeah uh and he's 16 you know i mean he just got his license (laughs) um but yeah, I mean, definitely Draco. He's he comes to mind almost immediately when I think of like characters that definitely could have used some some therapy. 
Um, my second one would be Ron. I thought about I Ron. I see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was kind of, I was taller than him. Yeah. Ron um, obviously had, you know, a lot of, well, from the beginning, you know, he all he wanted was to be seen as, you know, when he's looking in the mirror of Erised, you know, he wants to be head boy, he wants to be Quidditch captain. He like, these are, this is what he most desires is like people accepting and loving and supporting him and being in the spotlight, like because he is so low on the totem pole at the Weasley house and sandwiched in between like the twins who demand attention when they walk into the room and Ginny, who is the only girl, um, he's got that like chronic middle child uh, syndrome that's just kind of. And then, of course, he just so happens to be best friends with Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so interesting you brought up Ron because the first person that I thought of was Ginny because mm. she is the only girl in the family. She's like the youngest. Like this girl was so emotional inside. She's writing in this diary. She's putting all of these things out there. And it's like she was the definition of, oh, baby girl, you need a hug. Come here. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's OK. You know, like that was Jenny for me. And another one was Luna, just because mm-hmm. Luna just just like Carrie experienced tragedy, grief, like she was able to see the festrals. Thest- I think mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, she was able to see those. She's a bit spirited and loony and kind of out of touch with reality and you know her whole situation with her dad and everything like I I felt like she was a perfect candidate for therapy I do feel like though out of all the characters Luna's probably got herself together more than anybody like she knows herself and she's not she she doesn't seem to be really struggling with as much because she's kind of got it figured out. Granted, she had she definitely had some trauma in her past, and I feel like every anyone and everyone could benefit from therapy, no matter how well you're dealing with things. But um, I always kind of viewed her as someone who like had it more figured out than everyone else. She, she had her stuff together despite coming across as aloof and right. kind, kind See, of but out that's there. that's what kind of scares me. I'm going to be mm. real with you. Because it's like, Harry is, for me, is normal. It's like, bro, you've been through hell. So your little rebellions, your little, like, that's normal. Okay? You're a kid growing up. Like, Draco, <laughs> yo, boy, I wouldn't want your life. That's totally normal, too. But Luna uh, have okay she may not have experienced the same levels of crazy like tragedy and stuff but why are you so put together for your life something, something like are you gonna come out with like one of those crazy machine guns at the end of the battle or something like so, something about her don't sit right with my spirit you know I feel like <laughs> with some therapy yeah but something just ain't right but you know what what Luna had that Harry and Draco didn't or I guess Draco had his mom but Luna had a very loving supportive household even though one of her parents died her dad was very supportive of her being different and eccentric and and just kind of being like I mean they were obviously like birds of a feather they were like the the same type of person um that's probably where she I mean obviously that's where she got it but I don't, you know, Harry not having that and wanting to be normal, I think is a bigger red flag than not really caring if you fit in or not. I don't know. There's just something about Luna. I don't know, man. I'm just going to say, I I would never sleep on Luna. I'm just going to say that. Luna's my favorite, so I have to get a little, a little, little protective of her. Don't worry. You Johnny Cochran, me. I, I see. I see your points. Uh, very good. As you can all see, you know, this topic is definitely uh, an important topic, a yeah. little bit of a different topic, a heavier topic. And even in the wizarding world, even even when, you know, not everything was maybe portrayed perfectly or whatever, we, we could see where there was some mental health aspects and um, and I guess the importance of some of the supports that come with dealing with those uh, mental health issues. 
And what I want to do at this moment to kind of end everything here is just give a couple of tips to build your mental health. If anyone's going through any mental health struggles, these tips, I got nine here that will just run through really quickly. And all these, you can kind of, you know, use them if you like them. Great. If not, you know, that's fine too. You know, find the ones that work for you and, and implement them if you need to. So the first one I got, journaling. Um, I know journaling is ruined for Adrian, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, listen, facts is facts, man. <laughs> Can't trust no notebooks anymore. Having uh, somewhere where you could just write out your feelings and just give that out uh, is definitely a very healthy thing to be able to do. So journaling's number one. Number two, eating well. And I kind of kind of put this with number three, which is exercising regularly. You'd be surprised how much of a change can happen to your mood when you're putting the right things into your body. And, you know, there's a lot of studies also on exercise where you know the more you're working out it the um the different i don't know what words yeah the endorphins that's one of the words i was looking for <laughs> uh in your body that, that make you happier a- after you're finished because you're, you're doing something for yourself you're you're taking a step to better uh your yourself so um eating well exercising regularly number four see a mental health professional uh, very beneficial so don't don't put a stigma on on it you know if if you feel like like you need to by all means reach out uh, and can i put something in there really really quickly yeah sure um it is so easy now nowadays more than ever to find uh, a therapist a counselor um using services like better help or talk space all those things it's so it's so much more accessible now right, right. um and you can you can talk to somebody over the phone. You can talk to somebody on a video chat. You can text. You can text your therapist. Um, you know, if 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 that's something that just gives you anxiety, like talking to somebody, you can always start with text and then work your way up to phone call, video, in person, whatever you want to do. But um, now more than ever, it's it's way more accessible. Uh, no matter where you live, I know there are parts of Alaska that cannot. There are no in-person therapists because they're so rural. They're so, you know, you can, the only way to get there is to fly a tiny plane, like, or a boat or a snow machine or whatever. Um, Those people can, can get therapy now, you know, um, and quickly. And so I just want to point that out too, that uh, if you're not quite ready to just walk into a brand new office and meet that person and, you know, in person for the first time, there are a lot of different options. Yeah, thank you for adding that. Um, Number five, practicing gratitude. Find at least one thing in your day that you could be thankful for. And you'll see how that'll kind of snowball in in your, your, um, not only your psyche, but how you're feeling. Um, Number six, rest. Don't stay up all night, (laughs) like on TikTok or YouTube going down rabbit holes or whatnot. Get proper rest. Sleep when you have to. You know, I know they say eight hours and, you know, sometimes it's manageable and other times not but give give your body enough time to kind of uh settle down and you'll feel better number seven uh rely on the relationships you have built we spoke about this how harry had ron and hermione and whatnot um those people in your life those supports the natural support your whether it be your parents or or your best friends your your co-workers who you talk to a lot whoever those people are in your life uh from that are a part of your community you know lean on them you know those people can be people that you trust and and, you know, if you're going through something, reach out. Uh, number eight, prayer and meditation. Uh, I know not everyone prescribes to a specific faith or religion, but I know I could speak personally on this. This has certainly helped me out in the past and in the present. Um, so if that's if that's something that you do, um, then by all means, focus on that. And lastly, I have here number nine, spend time doing something you love, whether it be hobbies, going to the movies, drawing, creative writing, sports, building model cars puzzles, etc. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Harry used Quidditch to escape from his stresses in his life. Uh, when he was playing, he was feeling alive, passionate, focused, and determined. It rejuvenated him and provided him with a sense of accomplishment and joy. And that's what can come to you 
also, when you find those kind of passion uh, projects in your life, the things that you're passionate about, uh, and have those and make sure you're doing them. Spend, spend some time taking care of yourself. Like it, it's good for your soul to to do those things that make you happy. You know, a lot of a lot of people don't like their job. They just do their job because it provides a paycheck, which is also important. But uh, your job could take over your life and responsibilities with family and and all this stuff. You got to have a little bit of time to yourself to do what you like to do that's fun for you that you love to do um and and that'll also help out so those are the nine tips to build your mental health uh don't know if you have anything else you want to add to that denise or adrian i think that pretty much covers it um in line with like doing stuff you know having like that self-care that number nine of like doing something that you love um I would add on to that, like, or not even add on to that, but just an example. Another example would be listening to podcasts or audiobooks. Or um, I know a lot of times we can get wrapped up into listening things that are a little more entertaining um, or or watching things that are a little more entertaining. But I've definitely found that uh, listening to things that are on the tougher subjects are on the more in depth subjects or um, you know, as far as like watching, watching documentaries and stuff like that, um, instead of just always something that's just going to mindfully entertain me. Um, I've found that that's brought up a lot of things too, that have helped me mentally. Knowledge is power. Um, I guess for me, um, I know it's going to sound kind of cheesy, but it's the honest truth. Affirmations, um, help for me just because, I've, I forgot who told me, but I heard somewhere that your mind cannot distinguish um, between like a fact about yourself or like an exaggeration. So we're kind of like plants. The more you talk badly to yourself, like the more down and everything you get. So I'm not ashamed to say it. Like I go right in my mirror and I'm like, baby girl, you are gorgeous. You are ki- nobody's killing it out in these streets like you. All right. And let's not even talk about that sexy brain of yours. All right. You spent years like I that's what I do for myself. I lift myself up that way when anybody else is down or whatever, like or wants to be down on me. It's like, oh, I know you lying because I'm amazing. Come on. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, that's great. No, that that definitely helps because it also helps like loving yourself matters. Mm hmm. Oh, that's what I was going to say when we were talking about love and how and how strong it was in the Harry Potter world. I was going to say, like, not just love for other people and relationships, Mm -hmm. but also love for yourself. Um, Yeah, is the most important. You can't love anyone else until you love yourself. And I know that's like a cheesy, outdated like thing to say, but it's still 100 percent true. true. It's true. And you can't properly let someone else love you if you don't know how to love yourself. So you're constantly going to be seeking and never find what you can give yourself. Yeah, 100%. And if that's something you struggle with, take some time to, you know, work on yourself. Find out who you are. Find out ways to have a better relationship with yourself, (laughs) for lack of a better uh, words to say that. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah, one thing that we all love here on this show is Harry Potter. And uh, the escape that it has given to a lot of us, I I think, is something that we have all fallen in love with uh, about the story, how detailed it is, how in-depth it is, the the world building. Like, it feels real. And whenever we do pick up the books or turn on the movies, you know, it's almost like we dive right into it and we're there with Harry. We're there with the trio. And that has been a great joy to to a lot of us so i would say even you know as denise said picking up a book or the audiobooks mm-hmm. uh, you know is is important so yeah so that that's going to finish up our discussion on our main topic here of mental health in the wizarding world okay so that concluded the episode that i recorded with tales from godrick's hollow thank you guys so much for listening i had a lot of fun doing it uh thank you to joe Um, and Marissa, who was not able to be on the episode, and Adrian for having me on Tales from Godric's Hollow to discuss that very important topic. I will link all of their stuff in the show notes, but pretty much if you search Tales from Godric's Hollow, uh, you will find them. 
I just wanted to remind you guys, of course, as we always do, you can always find us at Mental M Podcast on all social media platforms. Email us mmpodcast1 at gmail.com. If you have anything to talk to me about, mental health related, Harry Potter related, <laughs> I'm happy to talk. I know Jordan is too, and she will be back with us on the next episode. And we'll catch you guys then. Thanks for listening. Bye.